he said, the team said, if I fiddle around, I'll be electrocuted. Leave the scene immediately, which he did. And the stewards, of course, said, well, fair enough. Welcome to Forza F1, Forza Magazine's Formula One podcast. I'm Aaron Jenkins, and with me is Andrew Frankel, Forza's Formula One editor. And we are here to talk about the Bahrain Grand Prix. The story of the weekend was unquestionably Ferrari's Charles Leclerc, who became the second youngest um, pole sitter in Formula One history. He was joined uh, alongside on the grid by his teammate, Sebastian Vettel, the reigning youngest Formula One pole sitter, with the Mercedes in third and fourth. A very different result from what we saw in the first race in Australia, yeah? It was absolutely wonderful to see um, the two red machines, first and second, on the grid. Clearly, they went back to Maranello, and there's been an awful lot of not just head-scratching, but clearly a lot of people spent a lot of time on the computers just to f- try and figure out what happened, what went wrong in Australia, and how could they possibly improve upon it, which they clearly did. Otherwise, they wouldn't have started first and second after a long, long while. I'm not a statistician, but I dare say it's been a long, long time since we've had Ferrari's first and second on the front row of any grid. I should also mention, in case you're wondering, you know, you keep hearing Bahrain, Bahrain. It is actually a very, very small country, quite near to Iraq. Um, It's obviously pretty wealthy in oil, hence the very lavish uh, facilities and the shakes. And I should, not just shakes, but also the sand that comes with it. Um, And we'll talk about it later, but conditions can be, and in fact were, pretty treacherous because of the crosswinds. Yes, the winds would potentially play a significant role later in the race for Sebastian Vettel, but let's start at the beginning, as it were. When the red lights went out, we had a scramble to the first corner where Vettel got past Leclerc to take the lead, Botas got past Leclerc less than a corner later to take over second place, and then Hamilton was all over the back of Leclerc um, for most of the first lap. It looked like the youngster fell apart, but... He came back very shortly thereafter. Yes, well, the amazing thing is, you see, that a lot of 19, 20-year-olds would have panicked, but he didn't panic. He he realized that there were, obviously, if you like, more experienced drivers to the right and left and front and back and everything else. And instead of banging wheels, he just, he knew he had a faster car. So he took his time, settled down, and went past all of them. Yeah, that was completely remarkable. Uh, What we saw by lap three, the running order was Vettel, Leclerc, Hamilton, and Botas. Botas coming out a significant loser in the early running. And by lap six, um, Leclerc just serenely sailed past Vettel on the front straight. So just imagine how four times world champion Vettel must have felt as the youngster sailed past him. I mean, psychologically, it must have been pretty devastating. And it must have been even more devastating when, I believe it was on lap eight, Vettel, I'm sorry, Leclerc overcooked it, went off track, lost a second, allowing Vettel to catch back up that second, 
but then continued to pull away again. Um, I don't think at any point in the race, Vettel was in contention to take back the spot from Leclerc. No, I, I, I find it fascinating, uh, not just his performance, but also if, if you like, uh, Verstappen is, a, is another young titan. And these guys seem to have learned their craft very, very quickly. And they are the new force. They are the new excitement. And I must say, Liberty Media, the owners of Formula One, are very, very lucky with Verstappen. And as far as they're concerned, I think Leclerc is an absolute godsend. No, I, I agree completely. Um, one thing that I mentioned earlier was that Botas came out the loser in the early laps. And by the time the first round of pit stops was over, he was still out of contention, over eight seconds behind his teammate. Um, do you think this reflects the real Botas that we didn't see in Australia? Or was it just an off day for him or an on day for Hamilton? Well, funny you should say that because they've interviewed Lewis before the race and uh, he said Bottas is exactly the same today as he was yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Um, he's a very, very good driver and he more or less implied that Bottas, if you like, got a little bit lucky in Australia. But if I go back 20 or 30 or 40 years, there have been drivers um, who've only ever won one race. Jean-Pierre Beltois, for instance, back in 1972 in Monaco. And there are many others. So I am very fond of Bottas. I still maintain that he's excruciatingly boring uh, outside the, the car, um, which some people say is relevant. Others say it's irrelevant. Um, and that's why I'm finding Leclerc so wonderfully refreshing because he's just as exciting outside the car as he's inside. But the real excitement of the race came after the second pit stop when Hamilton and Vettel suddenly found themselves nose to tail and Hamilton got the best of Vettel. Oh, this was an absolute beauty. Here you had two world champions, um, allegedly the two best drivers in the world, and one of them came slightly unstuck. Now, very often, uh, drivers blame the other. Um, oh, he pushed me, he nudged me, he braked too soon, he braked too late, whatever it is. This time, Fettel, as he admitted afterwards, looking pretty miserable, I hasten to add, he lost it. He lost it under pressure. Um, and what is very interesting is that Nico Rosberg, who, of course, was world champion in 2016, really put the boot in when asked because he said, well, it's not the first time he's done it and what do you expect? Clearly, there is very little love lost between these two German champions. Yeah, I think Vettel was very honest after the race saying that he didn't know what it was. Maybe it was um, the wash coming off of Hamilton's car unsettling him. Maybe it was the wind that we mentioned before. Um, but yeah, Vettel looped it solo and making matters worse as he continued on. It looks like he flat-spotted his tires, led to an oscillation, and his front wing exploded. And that sent him back into the pits and returned him to the racetrack in about ninth place. Now, of course, that front wing flying off is a very, very dangerous proposition because in spite of all the safety regulations, it's like a sword. You know, it could that really could kill someone under horrendous circumstances, had it hit, for instance, 
uh, the, the, the car following him. Or it could have flipped up and could have hit him. Uh, thank God it just looked pretty awful. It was pretty awful and it was replaced. So yeah, Vettel pits. And that leaves the running order. Leclerc, about eight seconds out of Hamilton. Botas, a massive 26 seconds behind. And then Verstappen running about four laps, sorry, four seconds behind him. Um, but then on lap 46, Leclerc comes on the radio and says, I have a problem with my engine. Yes, I'm afraid he lost some of the power. Some of the power comes from the hybrid, the electrical sources, and the rest of it comes, if you like, from what we might call a normal engine. So the normal engine was still working okay. It's the extra 130 or so horsepower that suddenly went missing from one minute to the next. Yep, specifically what happened is that the MGU, I guess, failed, and that cost him about uh, 160 horsepower, they said, during the broadcast, and Leclerc was down up to 40 kilometers an hour on the straights and was losing time at seven, up to seven seconds a lap by the end. And this, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which team you're supporting, and we, of course, are very much on the Ferrari team side and not on the Mercedes side, yet again, Lewis Hamilton was in the right place at the right time. Just like we saw so many times last year, Fattel would do this, and Kimi would do that, and Lewis would always be there to pick up the pieces. That's exactly what happened this time. Um, he just drove very nicely, very solidly. He knew he had no chance of winning until something happened up front, and that's exactly what happened, and that is how he came to win the race. As we watched... Um with bated breath, the inevitable, as first Hamilton and then Botas got past Leclerc, and um, Verstappen was presumably going to catch him maybe even three laps from the end until suddenly both Renaults retired two laps from the end within 100 yards of each other. Yes, that was quite extraordinary because the Renaults actually were doing very well. I mean, uh, Halkenberg started from something like 15th position. And he fought, with, he was up to sixth, if I'm not mistaken, at that stage. And first we thought maybe the two of them collided, but no, both cars expired within 100 yards of each other. And let me just add that initially, uh, the stewards summoned Ricciardo because he did not put the steering wheel back. And he had an excuse, and I must say I've never heard it before, but it had to be valid. He said, the team said, if I fiddle around, I'll be electrocuted. Leave the scene immediately, which he did. And the stewards, of course, said, well, fair enough. Yes. Yeah, not a bad, not a bad excuse. Um, so the safety car comes out, and we get the finish. Hamilton, Botas, Leclerc claiming his first ever podium, as well as maintaining his point for fastest lap, not the weekend that he envisioned, was it? Well, no. And just imagine that for the very first time in the history of the little principality, you have all the Monegasque watching. You've got Prince Albert watching. You've got his wife, Charlene, watching. You've got the little twins watching. Everyone at the palace. And they're all waiting for the checkered flag. And they're all waiting to hear the Monegasque national anthem for the very first time in the history of Formula One. 
And then, well, you know what happened. And one thing we saw immediately after the race, Hamilton jumped out of the car and ran directly to Leclerc, which is not something that you often see one driver consoling a driver on another team. No, he's, he, uh, Lewis is becoming, if you like, a little bit of an elder statesman. Um, and with all his world championship titles, I suppose he can afford to be, but he is essentially a good guy. And instead of jumping into the arms of the mechanics, um, after a victory, which was, if you like, lucky rather than deserved, but well, it's deserved as long as you take the checkered flag, but he knew he was very lucky. He admitted he was lucky. Even in the car, as he was slowing down, he said, I was very lucky today. And like a great sportsman, he ran across to Leclerc to console him. And I thought it was a wonderful gesture. It's not something I've ever seen before. So it's a big well done to Lewis, um, who I think is just, is just a very nice person, a very nice sportsman and a tremendous driver. We also saw Vettel consoling Leclerc afterwards. Um, and we have to wonder, I think, is, is this a significant issue for Ferrari? There have been a lot of theories floated around as to why they were off the pace in Australia. Maybe not the most convincing, but the one I've heard floated most often is that they, they had to turn the engine down, essentially. Now we've got a massive engine problem that cost them a race win in Bahrain. What do they do next? Well, first of all, um, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with Fettel because Fettel is clearly seriously cheesed. Uh, there is no other word for it, but there are others, but not on a family-friendly podcast. Um, because at the end of the day, with all his experience and titles and God knows what else, and here's this youngster sailing past. Now, in Australia, Leclerc was told to hold station. But after today, I don't see how they could possibly tell him to hold station because uh, the race was his and I'm sure that there will be no further team orders until and unless Fettel comes back and starts winning races. You mentioned earlier that Leclerc is one of the uh, young titans of the sport along with Verstappen and two others caught my eye today um, for opposite reasons. The first was Pierre Gasly. Uh, Verstappen's teammate, and the second was Lando Norris of McLaren. Well, yes, I'm not a huge Gasly fan, but I am a huge fan of Lando Norris because he's even younger than uh, Leclerc. Um, and McLaren, it looks as though McLaren are beginning to come back. I'm, I'm delighted that this young British lad finished sixth. It's very good for the sport. So... Last week, we were saying that the balance, you know, the old guys and the young guys, it's, you know, guys over 25, under 25, if you like, is about 50-50. I think the balance is moving more and more towards the youngsters. I cannot see Kubica, much as I love him, I cannot see him continuing after this season, even if he can finish this season. But the speculations have already started with regards to Vettel, uh, will he stay with Ferrari? Will he retire at the, this season? And I know that Ricciardo has had negotiations with the team, and I would have thought that he would be the most obvious choice 
should Fettel decide or should the team decide that they should say goodbye to each other? That would be an interesting one. I believe Ricardo has signed a two-year contract with Renault, but as we know, there's nothing that money can't solve in Formula One. Uh, talk for a second about Gasly. He was he was elevated to um, Red Bull after Ricardo left suddenly, and at least in these first two races, he's been well off the pace, both in qualifying and the race of his teammate. Yes, I I, I have to admit I I'm not a huge fan. Uh, maybe he's finding, uh, I mean, look, Helmut Marko is a very, very tough guy. He, he, he does have a habit of letting uh, drivers know that a um, few more races like this and they're out. I mean, he's completely merciless when it comes to performance. Looking at the race as a whole, though, while um, Leclerc's engine f- problem was a heartbreaker, I think we had a fantastic race. We had the, at least... F- all four players on the two main teams fighting tooth and nail the whole way. We had Verstappen ready to um, pounce if anything bad happened. And in the midfield, we had all sorts of action, um, with the exception of Williams, who once again was woefully off the pace. I believe they were 1.3 seconds behind the 18th place car in qualifying and one and two laps down at the finish. Um, but overall, I think this season is looking a lot better than last year. Oh, I have to agree. I absolutely have to agree with you. Um, I mean, the very fact that we, we had Perez uh, getting a point in uh, racing point, uh, what a silly um, name that is, uh, Albon getting uh, points in the Toro Rosso, then we had Gasly, whom we've just mentioned, in the Red Bull, and Raikkonen, who had another one of his classic little remarks during the race when he said, um, leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, what he, he was asked by the team, how's your front wing? And he said, you tell me, I can't see it. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, th- this is why we all love him. Uh, so he finished seventh, uh, having had a major dice with Nico Halkenberg before Nico's uh, Renault packed up. And Lando Norris in sixth, I mean, for, for McLaren, frankly, that's a victory. Um, then Fettel, let's not be too unkind to him, he fought back to fifth place. Verstappen proved that A, he can drive, and B, that the Honda engine is beginning to be well, pretty competitive, uh, not quite on par with the, uh, McLaren, you know, with the Mercedes engine and the Ferrari engine, but nevertheless, he is not a million miles away. Yeah, the Ferrari had a clear advantage on the, it seemed, on the straights here, and that's down to horsepower more than anything else. So with that horsepower advantage, do you think we're going to see a Ferrari driver atop the podium in China? I think that their chances of winning races, their end in Baku, are better than maybe anywhere else uh, until we get to Monza, which again, of course, you know... um, if they can maintain this little edge, uh, I think it would be sensational. I mean, let's be fair. Mercedes have had it all their own way now for a long, long time. And it's high time we bounce back. I agree. Uh, I also think we've been saying that for about three years now. So it would be silly to count Mercedes out in any way. Um, your predictions for China? I would... It's not that I would. I'm definitely going for Leclerc, partly for sentimental reasons. I mean, like everybody else, um, 
besotted is the wrong word, but blown away is probably a better expression. I've yet to meet such a talented, normal... I mean, let's compare him to Verstappen, who's also very good, but who is a thousand times more arrogant and a thousand times more conceited. Here is this impeccably behaved young man um, who really took the loss exactly the same way he would have taken victory. Um, of course, you know, you open tomorrow morning's newspapers and it will say Hamilton first, Bottas second, Leclerc third. And if you detach yourself a bit, which I'm finding difficult, uh, to finish, to drive for Ferrari and finish third in your second race is not exactly a catastrophe. Uh, an awful lot of people uh, would be very, very happy indeed to trade places with him. But he, to my mind, he's just what Formula One needed. He's just what form, and this is where we have to really salute the late Sergio Marchione. It was his decision to put this young man into this car, and he was right. Yeah, it had been many, I think since Jean Alessi, that you had a driver who was so close to being a rookie join the team, and he has this weekend proven that he deserves to be there. Um, I predicted Vettel to stand atop the first two podiums of the year, so I'm 0 for 2. Uh, but I'm going to agree with you for China. I think this will be Leclerc's first win. And also... He is, I, I can safely say, he is box office. I mean, imagine the number of people who will turn up for the French Grand Prix. Um, because for all intents and purposes, for, you know, he is French, monogasque. You know, I mean, look, if he wins, he's French. If he loses, he's monogasque. It's just one of those things. But I can guarantee that he's good for at least another 25,000 people on the gate, for the gate, uh, and as, for, as far as Monaco is concerned, well, can you imagine the number of people who will be who will be flocking there for what is the most glamorous race of the year? That's it for this edition of the Forts F1 podcast. We'll see you in two weeks after the Chinese Grand Prix.